Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. God bless you, and thank you for joining me today. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is Lesson 13 of our Passover Passion Volume 2 series. Thank you for joining me, and I pray these are being a blessing to you. Today, I'd like to pick back up from what we left off with in the last episode, and we want to talk about the topic of perfection. As we continue to draw to a close in this volume two of Passover Passion, today we consider the proof of Jesus' perfection. We saw the grain that died, buried, and germinated into new life, rose from the dead, and spread, proving the truth of Jesus' prophetic word given in John chapter 12 and the accomplishments and results that came from it and continue to come from it and will continue until that innumerable multitude that we read about in Revelation chapter 7 and in Revelation chapter 19. Today we want to examine the proof of Jesus' perfection. God demanded perfection in any offering made to him. The Torah is replete with references to that. In all the different offerings and so forth, you'll find they had to be without blemish. They had to have no spot. If they had any kind of defect or whatever, they were not acceptable. I want us to see one place in the Torah where that is explicitly shown, and it is found in Leviticus chapter 22. I want to begin the reading in verse 17 of Leviticus chapter 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. God demanded in every offering that anything offered to him had to be perfect. It had to be complete, unimpaired in any way, blemish-free, wholesome, innocent, or having integrity. There were strict penalties and consequences if this were not the case. God would accept nothing less. He demanded no blemish, no stain, no disfigurement, no dismemberment. Nothing of any form of imperfection was acceptable. It had to be perfect. That was true in the Torah. Of all of the Levitical offerings, the very same is true of the ultimate sacrifice for
for the entire world's sins and trespasses. God would accept nothing less. And only his very own son could offer such to him. Because he is the only one who was sinless. He is the only one who is perfect. The plan of redemption for this to occur and for Jesus to be the one who would be the lamb. All of this was foreordained before the world was ever formed. We've seen that in earlier episodes of this series. God also had everything perfectly timed as well. We looked at some of that in the punctuality episode. God is always a right on time God from the birth to the death. We saw how Jesus was inspected in this final week, showing that he was perfect with no blemish. That was required as well. We looked at that in the episode entitled Probe. In his crucifixion, we had the crucifixion had to meet everything that was already prophesied in the Old Testament. It had to be perfect and it had to be done by the perfect prescription and requirements that God had set in the Old Testament. And it was. We looked at that in the episodes earlier when we talked about the two special Psalms that we examined. Even in the cries from the cross, we see his perfection and we see the proof of it. I've done in an earlier Passion Week special, we did one called the cries from the cross. And I would encourage you to look at that one as well. He made two final cries from the cross. One was, it is finished. In other words, it can be translated as paid in full. Everything was now complete and had been offered as the acceptable offering to God, and Jesus knew it. Then he concluded his cries from the cross with one final cry. He said, into your hands, I commit my spirit, quoting from one of the Psalms in the Old Testament. In this declaration, he was entrusting his vindication to the righteous judge. I've covered this in several different messages in the past. He knew he was the Holy One, and he entrusted that God was going to vindicate him because he was not subject to the wages of sin and to that eternal death and eternal separation. Peter puts it out like this in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, when he says it was impossible for the grave to hold him. In earlier episodes, returning to dust, the beauty of ashes and resurrection power, roll that stone away. I've spoken about those and taught about those. Also, you might check out my Run Kitty Run series, the episode where I dealt with El Kadosh, the holy God. Jesus knew he was the perfect sacrifice and entrusted his father to prove it because he also knew what God had already established in his word. I want us to look at Psalm 16, and I want to read verse 8 through 11. Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Four, you will not leave my soul in Sheol or in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All of this is prophetically speaking of Jesus. And Peter, in Acts chapter 2, even quotes this passage, speaking of it as prophetic and messianic about Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, that Jesus was buried, but he went into the ground resting in hope because he was waiting on God to fulfill this promise, and he knew God would do it. God was not going to allow his Holy One, Jesus, to see corruption in that grave. And so on the third day, the first fruits offering was to be given, the perfect day. God proved that Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice, perfect and holy, accepted by God to pay the ransom for the sin debt of the entire world. I encourage you to look up scriptures we've already covered in several episodes, but I'm going to give you the references again. Psalm chapter 49, verse 7 and 8, and 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20. This proof was because of the resurrection from the dead. In Acts chapter 3, Let's look at that one. I want to read verse 13 through 15 of Acts chapter 3. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So Peter here is speaking of the proof of the resurrection from the dead and the fact that he was one of the witnesses. So was John. They both were eyewitnesses at the tomb after the stone had been rolled away. In Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12, Peter writes again. Peter is speaking again. Let's read it. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter clarifies here that this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
They crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. I want you to also see the proof of it in Acts chapter 13. And I want to read verses 29 through 39. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 29. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man it is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So right here in Acts 13, it attests that God raised him from the dead, talking about Jesus of Nazareth, proves that God's action in raising Jesus from the dead is the proof that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice and that the promise made to Abraham is fulfilled in him, and that he and he alone brings forgiveness of sins and justification by faith in him alone. In Acts chapter 17, I want to read verse 31. It says this, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So the assurance comes, the proof of it is because God raised Jesus from the dead. So forgiveness has come proven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the proof of it. It is now widely available to all who will believe. I want us to begin to draw to a close with a few final thoughts and scriptures here. In Romans chapter 10, I want to begin the reading in verse 9 and read through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's widely available now to whoever. Whoever will call from anywhere 
And he even says, there's no difference between Jew and Greek. I'm going to save anybody. I'm going to save anyone who will call to me, who will believe in me, in my death, burial, and resurrection. And you can be assured of it because God has raised him from the dead. In Romans chapter 4, Paul is writing here about Abraham, the father of our faith. And he says this, beginning in verse 20, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he, meaning God, had promised, he, meaning God, was able also to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So Paul is telling us here, Abraham was saved by faith, but it's the same for us. We believe God's promise. He promised in John chapter 3, verse 16, as well as other places, that all who will believe will have everlasting life. All who will truly believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, call upon him, ask him to forgive them of their sins, and receive him and his beautiful gift of salvation. They will be saved. All who believe will have everlasting life. And all who believe, because God has raised Jesus from the dead, will have imputed righteousness granted to them if they will believe in the Lord Jesus. The purpose of the resurrection was to be the way that we then can be justified by faith alone in his finished work. Many other scriptures attest to the power of the resurrection and that God indeed raised Jesus from the dead. There's many, I'll give you the references to Galatians 1.1, Ephesians 1.20, Colossians 3.12, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Peter 1.21, and also even in Philippians 3, Paul speaks about longing to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is proof positive that God accepted Jesus' payment in full. When he cried out, it is finished, God accepted that payment for the sin debt of everyone in the world. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, meaning eternal death, the second death, eternal separation from God in hell and in torment. But the gift of God is eternal life for all who will believe. But a gift has to be received in order for you personally to receive the benefits of it. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we're told that as many as received him, those become the children of God. Those have the right to be called children of God. First John 3, verse 1, John writes about the awesomeness of the revelation of knowing that God would even accept us 
He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has for us, that we could even be called children of God. And it's all because of what Jesus did in his sacrifice and because that God accepted his offering. And now for all who will receive God's gift, for all who will believe, their sins will be washed away. They'll be set free from bondage and the power of sin, made brand new, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, justified by faith alone, meaning that they are declared as righteous before a holy God. And that's really pointed out and explained in Romans chapters 1 through 5. And I encourage you, we have done a deep dive study into the book of Romans throughout last year's Truth Tidbits. So there's many episodes where we get into the Romans study there. For everyone who will believe, they will be justified by faith alone. Their names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, giving them assurance of salvation and assurance of our own resurrection. His resurrection is the premise for the promise for each of us, proof positive that it will happen. And we're going to continue looking at that in the next lesson. God bless you today. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And may the Lord richly bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.